Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Great, great. My name is Preston Crow. I am the counseling pastor here at Broadmoor, and it is such a privilege to be with you this morning. I want to thank Pastor Josh for letting me preach while he is away for some time off. And uh, thank you to Corey, wherever you went. Thank you, Corey, and the worship team. And they do a great job leading us this morning. I can't express how excited I am to be with you this morning as we kick off a new sermon series on relationships. Someone asked me why we had chosen to spend four weeks leaning into this idea of building healthy relationships. And as I thought about that, a few things came to my mind. One, we all have relationships, right? Everyone in this room is in relationship with other people, so everyone in this room can gain something through this series that will help you. Number two, relationships shape us. There's a saying that we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. That's a little scary, isn't it? Some of you are like, oh, what? Oh, I'm in trouble here. I don't know if that's true or not, but we do know that relationships shape us in great ways. Number three, relationships are hurting. You don't have to look very far to see someone who is hurting right now because of a broken relationship with a friend or a spouse or a parent or someone else. And fourth, God is a God of relationships. We see it in the opening pages of Genesis. We see it in the final pages of Revelation. We see it in the nature of the Trinity, and we see it all throughout the Gospels in the life of Jesus. So as our team discussed how to help our church cultivate healthy relationships, we figured what better place to look than to the only one who has ever done relationships perfectly, Jesus himself. Much of what we'll study over the next few weeks comes not so much from what Jesus taught about relationships, but from how he lived out relationships. And so you can guess from that that this is not just a series on marriage, although it will apply. It's not only about family, although we're going to camp there for a while today. Our hope is that everyone in this church can gain something, learn something over the next few weeks that will help us to live out one of our core values, cultivating healthy relationships, no matter the context. As an overview of where we're going, next week, Neil Marsh is going to be leading us deeper into this concept that you hear us say a lot around here, knowing and being known. We want to get to know others, and we want them to get to know us. Then Josh will be back, and he's going to help us navigate how do we continue to get to know each other in the busyness, the fast pace of our lives today. And then he, finally, he's going to land on how God baked this idea of relationships into the very mission that he gave us in the beginning. And every relationship that we have can be used towards that end. Many of our life groups and other groups are also tracking this series with lessons to help you go deeper and to make practical application into your own life. So this is a great time. If you're not involved in a life group or some other small group, jump in one so that you can unpack this topic of relationships while also building those uh, with those that are in the group. So as we kick off today, I thought I would start with a question. Who is the one in your family that's just a little nuts? Just a little crazy. All right, now think about it. Some of you are pointing already. Don't point unless you're pointing at yourself, right? They say every family has maybe a crazy uncle in the mix. 
For me, it was an uncle I barely knew. I don't even really think he was crazy. I mean, he really was kind of brilliant, I think. But after you hear the story, you may think otherwise. So here's the story. I was on a mission trip in Istanbul, Turkey. And while we were there, there was an international mission board missionary who was our driver. So he was supposed to get us around town. And we're driving along. He's in the driver's seat. I'm in the back of this van. All I can see really is the back of his head and his eyes in the rear view mirror. And, you know, we're doing small talk. You know how it is getting to know each other. And he says, hey, where y'all from? And I said, well, I'm from Louisiana. And I could see his eyes. He kind of perked up a little bit. He said, really, I've got some ties to Louisiana as well. I said, well, how about that? A little while later, he said, well, so what part of Louisiana are you from? I said, well, I grew up in Franklin It's kind of a small town. I said, my mom has some connections in Morgan City. His eyes got a little bit bigger, and he said, Morgan City, really? He said, I've actually got connections to Morgan City. I said, well, I don't know much about it. I've only been there a few times, but I, I do know I had this uncle. He was kind of famous in a weird way because he had this 11-foot alligator that he kept in a pen in his backyard. And this cat's got eyes got about this big. And he said, was the alligator named Bull? I said, yes, it was. How do you know that? He said, he's my uncle too. <laughs> I cannot make this up. Istanbul, Turkey, and me and this guy figure out halfway around the world that we are connected by this common thread of an alligator, actually of just family history, right? So we all know that families shape us. We get dad's height or a grandmother's complexion. Apparently some ball gene comes from mom's side, so thanks mom if you're watching right now. But some of the things that we get from our family of origin aren't quite as funny, right? They're not genetic like our blue eyes and brown hair. Personality struggles, character defects, sin patterns can be passed along almost as easily as physical characteristics. So our main point today is this. Our family of origin shapes us, but it doesn't have to control us. It doesn't have to define us. We are definitely impacted by our family of origin, no doubt, but there are still choices that we can make about how we move forward. So let's look for a minute at the family line of Jesus before learning from a few of his crazy and not-so-crazy relatives. We're going to start off in Matthew chapter 1, if you want to begin turning there. Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament, if that helps you out. So in Matthew chapter 1, we see Jesus' family tree. Now, this is one of those chapters that, if we're honest, we often skim over it, but it is really, really rich. Matthew 1 reminds us that Jesus didn't just pop up on the scene out of nowhere. It was prophesied long ago that he was coming, and that he was coming from the line of many of the people that are mentioned here in this chapter. Matthew 1.1 tells us that Jesus Christ is the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's reminding us, and he's reminding his mostly Jewish readers at that time, that God was at work to reveal the Savior, Jesus Christ, all the way back to Abraham and even before. Now, as you skim the names in Matthew 1, you're going to see people with good names and bad names, and you're going to see some with kind of no names that you don't even recognize. You'll see some that are closely associated with our faith, some, wish that, some that we wish we could cut off from the family tree. You'll see patriarchs and kings along with widows and prostitutes. Matthew goes to great lengths to show us who Jesus is and where Jesus came from. When God brought Jesus to this earth, he placed him not only into a family, but into a family 
with a history. It is what we would call a family of origin. We all have one. Our family of origin is just the family in which we were raised. It may be a biological family. It may be adoptive family. It's what you think of when you think back to the family in which you grew up. So as we look at this idea of family of origin today, we're going to look further back into the family lineage of Jesus. Specifically, we're going to look at a few generations of kings that are mentioned here in chapter 1. So if you look in chapter 1 at verses 9 and 10, you'll see the names of some of the father-son kings in Jesus' line. And what I want you to see is that what we're talking about today is one family. We're going to talk about multiple generations, but all within one family. It starts with Uzziah. How's that for a name? In fact, if anybody here is looking for like a name change or a name for their child they're about to have or to name their dog, you're going to get lots of names today to pull from, so just pick yours. And by the way, there's a likelihood I will pronounce some of them wrong, but as someone has said, if you don't know, just say it with confidence. So here we go. Verse 9, And Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. So there you go. These kings, this portion of Jesus' family, will be our focal point today. But to learn about them, we have to turn back to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, where the story of this family line is told. So you can be turning to 2 Kings back in the Old Testament. You can use the front of your Bible. It'll tell you where to go. We'll be around chapter 16 and following. And these same kings are written about in 2 Chronicles. So for some of you that like to study a little more, go a little deeper into it, you can look at their same stories in 2 Chronicles, and it'll kind of fill in some of the gaps. We'll be looking at several kings of Judah who reigned during the divided kingdom. So this is when Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. You've got Israel and Judah. You've got kings in Israel. You've got kings in Judah. And we're going to be focusing on the line of kings in Judah. One of the kings mentioned in the line of Jesus was a king named Ahaz. We read about him in 2 Kings 16. But before we read about him, let me give you just a little bit of a summary background on Ahaz. His dad, Jotham, was the king of Judah before him. And the Bible tells us that Jotham did right in the eyes of the Lord. Now listen to that phrase, did right in the eyes of the Lord, because you're going to hear that some more. Just as his father Uzziah had done, except for one thing. He did right except for this thing. He didn't remove the high places. Now, what on earth are high places? High places were essentially places where people would go and they would worship foreign gods. They would worship idols. So not the true and living God, but these other idols they would worship under these high places. That's going to be very important, that phrase, throughout our time today. Now, let's pick up in 2 Kings 16. Hopefully you're there by now. Beginning in verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and I learned that one because it sounds like Jambalaya, right? So we got that one. Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, so like four terms for us. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Okay, so he did not do what was right as his father David had done. Now, why is it calling David his father? I, I thought we just talked about Jotham being his father. No. In this case, when they talk about David being their father, they're actually going back in their family line 
to King David. And this was often the case. When they talked about good kings, they would go back to King David. You're going to see that phrase again as well. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Another important phrase because the kings of Israel at this time were not good. So anytime you see reference to the kings of Israel, that's not a compliment. He's saying they're not doing well. They're walking like the kings of Israel. How bad was it? He even burned his son as an offering. According to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on what? On the high places. Remember, I told you that was coming back around. And on the hills and under every green tree. So Ahaz had a pretty good, not perfect, but a pretty good father, Jotham. He had a good role model as king. But Ahaz goes the opposite direction. He participates in child sacrifices and other horrific practices meant to appease these foreign gods. And he leads the people to be more like the nations God had driven out before them than the nation God had called them to be. Now remember, Israel was supposed to be God's people. They were supposed to be set apart. They were supposed to look different, live differently, so that when people saw Israel, they would be drawn to the God of Israel, who was a different God from the ones that they served. But instead of doing that, he has now led the people to be worse than the ones that they had driven out before them. And we see these high places. Remember the ones his father did not remove? We see these high places coming back into the picture. Now I'm going to skip a couple of verses, but Ahaz gets into some military trouble and offers a bribe to the opposing king. And where did he get his money? Look at verse 8. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So Ahaz is basically robbing the temple to pay a bribe to this pagan king. And if you read his account in 2 Chronicles, you'll see that Ahaz ultimately shut the doors of the temple, making it a place that was off limits to worship the Lord. So quick summary so far. Stay with me. Jotham, good king. Ahaz, bad king. So is this the beginning of a downward spiral? A pretty good but not perfect dad, a bad son. What's the next generation going to be like? Well, let's look. After Ahaz came his son, King Hezekiah. So skip over to chapter 18. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 18, we read, In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that's what's going on in Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. So what did he do? Verse 4, he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. Now, y'all keep hearing this word, and you're like, what is an Asherah? So Asherah essentially was a goddess. They had kind of two primary gods. One was Baal. And then the female counterpart was Asherah, and they would build these 
kind of carved poles uh, as an idol to worship her. And they would put them out and like stick them in the ground like a telephone pole. But it would be carved and they would bow down and they would worship at these poles. And so he cut them down, right? And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Okay, there again, let's stop. What is this bronze serpent about? Well, if you remember back when the uh, people were le had left Egypt and they were wandering through the desert and they turned away from God, God sent serpents to bite the people. That sounds awful, right? But he did it so that they would turn back to him. And he gave them a way out. He had Moses build this bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and he told the people, if you will look to this bronze serpent, you will be healed. Wasn't that the serpent had anything to do with it. It was that God was showing them, if you have faith to do what I say, I will heal you in this, okay? Well, they had carried around this whole time, and people had begun to even worship it. And so he tears it down. He breaks it apart, okay? Now read on in verse 5. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. What a great testimony. That in all the time before and all the time after, there was not a king like him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. So let's unpack this a minute. Hezekiah had a bad father. In fact, if you are Hezekiah, think about this for, for what we just read. If you're Hezekiah, that means at least one of your brothers had been killed in a ritualistic child sacrifice. So when we say he had a bad dad, he had a bad dad. But he had a lineage that included King David. And he decided he was going to cultivate his life more after the life of King David than after his earthly father. What did he do? He removed the high places. These high places, they get you in trouble, right? He looked at it and he said, you know what? It's not enough just to not worship there. We've got to get rid of them. He tore them down. He got rid of them because people's hearts kept going back there. He smashed the sacred stones, it says. He's cut down these Asherah poles. He broke into pieces this bronze serpent Moses had made. You see, he didn't just tear down the obvious idols. It's one thing if you can look at an idol and you can say, that's where people worship something that's a foreign god. He didn't just do that. He even tore down the things that some would have said, that was something God gave us. That was something that's good. But he said, you know what? It's being misused. People are worshiping it instead of worshiping the God who saved us. We've got to get rid of it too. He did a great job. Not a perfect job, but he had some weaker moments later in life. But even in those, he repented quickly and turned back to God. So summary, stay with me. Jotham, good king. Ahaz, bad king. Hezekiah, really good king. All right? So downward spiral is averted. Things are on the rise again. The kingdom has been restored to good. No more high places. No more Asherah poles. No more worshiping of things that God meant for good instead of worshiping God himself. All is well. Well, maybe not. Hezekiah had a son who would become king, and his name was Manasseh. And oh, Manasseh. Single ladies in the room, listen to me for a second. If there's a social event that you're at, 
And there's a guy, and y'all lock eyes across the room, and he begins walking over to you, and he walks up and says, Hi, my name's Manasseh. Run. Just run. Let's read about Manasseh. Jump over to chapter 21, and let's read about this guy named Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Can you imagine? And he reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. Now, whatever you're going to do, you can do a lot of it in 55 years, right? 55 years he is in charge. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For... What did he do? He rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, this pole again, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. In other words, he said, we're not worshipping God anymore. We're going to go back to worshipping all these other things. All the things my dad tore down, guess what? They're coming back. Okay? And, he, and he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He's doing this stuff in the temple courts. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. What on earth are those? Those are like kind of magician, wizards, but they talked to dead people and tried to get people to rise from the dead and all. He did, listen to this, much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And, he car and the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of the Lord. So again, they normally would build these poles, they'd put them outside, this would be a place that they would go to to worship. He took the pole, he brought it into the house of the Lord. This was the kind of guy that he was. And skip down to verse 9. Instead of following the commandments that Moses had given them, it says, but they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Did you catch that last part? Manasseh wasn't just a bad dude. He actually led the people to do more evil than the nations the Lord had driven out. He essentially undid all the good that his father Hezekiah had done. He rebuilt the high places. He even took idolatry into the temple itself. So where Hezekiah, his dad, tried his best to bring his own life and the life of the people back to God, Manasseh tried his best to erase all memory of God, and he did a pretty good job of it. So summary, Jotham, good king. Ahaz, bad king. Hezekiah, really good king. Manasseh, really, really bad king. What a roller coaster of kings, all related to each other. Fathers, sons. Grandfathers, grandsons. Today we've looked at the lives of several generations of one family. We've seen characteristics and traits 
that seemed unbreakable get broken. We've seen spiritual and literal strongholds torn apart. We've also witnessed rebellion against God and against a godly heritage. And all of this happened within the same family tree. So why is this important as we start a series on relationships? Because our families impact how we live. They impact how we relate to one another. If you don't believe me, think about this. If you're a parent, have you ever heard something come out of your mouth when you were disciplining your child and thought, wow, that sounded just like my dad or just like my mom? Or if you're single, have you ever noticed that some of your needs in a friendship stem from things that started back in your family of origin? Let's get super practical for you as we kick off a series on relationships. What are the three things I'm asking you to do today to cultivate healthy relationships? First, you must be willing to see how your relationship patterns have been shaped. And no relationship is more formative than those of your family of origin. And don't just think about the generation before you. Sometimes these traits both good and bad, go way back for many generations. So ask God to allow you to see with new eyes these traits. They're important for you to examine, not just because they impact you, but because they impact the way that you relate to others. Your relationships with your coworkers, your neighbors, your spouse, your friends, your children, they are all impacted by what you saw, what you witnessed growing up. So we see it. Then what? Secondly, you must be willing to build up the traits worth keeping. What are the great characteristics you bring with you into your relationships? What are the things you saw in your father, mother, aunt, uncle that you want to carry on with you? Generosity, integrity, work ethic, a heart to serve the Lord. If you saw these in your parents, great if not, maybe it was in your grandparents or some other relative. Wherever you see them in your family line, be thankful. And maybe even thank that person for that. But pray that God would help you exemplify all these traits in your other relationships. Don't just build up the traits that are worth keeping, though. Here's the third thing. We've got to tear down the things stemming from our family history that we know we don't need to carry into our other relationships. Don't leave any high places. Now, I just want you to think about that for a second. I don't know what the high places might be in your family of origin. But today may be the day for you to say that needs to be torn down. Remove them all together. Maybe it's family baggage that you've been dragging behind you. Maybe it's things that you've witnessed or heard or saw that you want to leave behind. What are the things that you keep bumping into in your current relationships that you know the reason I'm bumping into it now is because it's part of my past? Why is this important? Because not only will you be healthier, but your relationships will also be healthier because of it. I want to invite our worship team to begin making their way back on the stage um, we started today's sermon in Matthew 1, in the lineage of Jesus. If we were to look completely at that list in Matthew, we would see not only these great 
and terrible kings that we've talked about today. But we might be reminded that the patriarchs, though they are the fathers of our faith, also struggled with deception and lies. We would see Rahab, the prostitute that we heard about just a few weeks ago, and be reminded that she placed her faith in God and was used by God to help his people. We would read lines like, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, reminding us that the very one these good kings tried to model after was still a human, completely in need of God's mercy and grace. Church family, we have read today about our spiritual family of origin, but many of these things are true in our earthly families of origin as well. Good traits, godly people, negative traits, struggling people. We have learned that coming from a good family doesn't necessarily make us good. That coming from a bad family doesn't necessarily make us bad. We have learned that families often shape us, but they don't have to control us. You don't have to repeat old patterns in current relationships. If you came from a great family, that is awesome. Let those good traits continue through you and through all of your relationships with others. But if your family struggled, which they all do, learn from those struggles and trust God to help you chart a new course just like some of the kings that we just read about. But here's the good part. These good kings could only look back at a good earthly king for their model. We have a perfect king to look to, to model after, and his name is Jesus. In Scripture and still today, when people entered relationships with Jesus, everything changed, including the ways that they related to those around them. So what do you need to see this morning? As you look back across the history of your family, what do you need to see? What do you need to build up? What are those great traits that you go, you know what, I need to build off of that. That's a good thing in our family. And what are those things that you need to tear down? What are the things that you need to be the one, you need to be the generation to say, no more. It ends here. Are you ready to model your life after the perfect king who does relationships so well? Would you pray with me? Father God, as we um, sit before you today and as we reflect, I'm sure there are many in this room that are thinking back over generations within their family and seeing things that they would say as a family, these are great things, these are awesome things. And Lord, we thank you for those things. We thank you for characteristics that we look back at and we can say that has been good and has been wholesome and has been helpful. And those traits that we can say, we want to carry those on in our relationships with friends and neighbors and coworkers because it is part of who you've created us to be. And God, I'm sure there are also those in the room that are thinking back over things in their family of origin that they go, wow, that's a tough one. That's a tough situation. That's a tough part of our history. 
But Lord, I pray, God, I pray today that they would understand that though that might be part of their story, it does not have to define them. Lord, I pray that today there would be some in this room that would say, yes, that is part of what I witnessed, but by the grace of God and with the help of God, I don't have to replicate that. I pray that there would be some here today that this would be a marker day for them where they would say, these high places, these places that I've known they're there, but rather than tear them down completely and get rid of them, I've just kind of left them there, maybe because every now and then I don't trust you, God, and I think I might want these things to run to. God, I pray that today would be the day that they are torn down. And not just those places that are obvious idols, but Lord, even the places that might seem good on the surface, even the places that our culture might say those are good, Lord, if they come between us and you, then I pray they would be torn down as well. God, I pray that as a church, that we would be willing to look inward, to look backward, to see those things, those patterns that we need to address, so that through your power, we can change the things that need to be changed to be healthy, healthy individuals and a healthy church. Help us to do that today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.